I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And this week's show is one that I'm excited about for reasons that don't necessarily even really relate to the show. I mean, they do, but they're sort of tangentially related. Because this week's guest is Penny Lake. And Penny Lake is a good friend of mine. And one of the things that you read is about sort of the difficulties of adulthood is that it's hard to make new friends as an adult. Now, ordinarily, I'd say that's true, but when I got out of grad school, my wife had this whole cool group of friends that she knew from when she graduated undergrad. She took like a year or two off between undergrad and grad school. And so once we finished grad school and we moved to Denver, there was like this whole crew of people that I knew nothing about because we were in Fort Collins. And... They were all just so awesome. And so getting integrated into a group like this was just really exciting. Now, when you're in your 20s and you don't have any kids and you're sort of starting out in your career, a bunch of your time is spent drinking, or at least if you're anything like me. And I would argue a lot of people, when you're in your 20s, you go out with people, you drink, you have a great time, you act somewhat irresponsibly. It's great. You don't have a lot of pressures. Now, when you're in your 30s, I don't get to see these people very often because we all have kids, we all have... You know, we've all advanced in our careers to whatever degree. There's a lot more responsibility and thus a lot less time to just sort of mess around. Well, Penny Lake is one of the women that I got introduced to after grad school. And she's an adult friend and I adore her. And we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we've spent a lot of time drinking together. And that's fantastic. But what's amazing about this podcast is we so rarely get the opportunity to talk to people that we know about the ins and outs of what they do. And after doing this conversation with Penny, after having this interview, having her on my show, it's almost like I felt closer to her because it's like, oh, this is where you go. This is where we all go. Like during a good chunk of our day before we rendezvous on a weekend or a weeknight or something and get together and have fun. We don't talk about the ins and outs of our job and hearing her. She's a very savvy professional, very sort of dialed in. Just great expertise and working on stuff that affects us all. She's an interior designer. She works for Lance Boggio Architects. You can check out their firm on the website, the companion blog piece. It's johnofalltrades.us. But the insight and the savvy that she had was just so illuminating and so energizing. And when you're surrounded by brilliant technical people, people who work very hard, people who since our 20s have ascended in their careers and are working on things that matter, things that affect us all. Man, it's just energizing. So this was an enormous pleasure. I was happy Penny got the opportunity to sit down with me. She has three boys. I'm soon to have two girls. And so opportunities like this are rare and I treasure it. And she was just fantastic. So big thanks to Penny for taking some time out. Just a couple of quick notes here. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. Check us out there. Get every episode downloaded to your listening device with no trouble. All you have to do is hit that subscribe button, and I would adore you because this show is not only about highlighting people that are in the public eye, people you may know, people like comedian Adam Caton Holland or Nine News anchor Kyle Clark. I mean, those are two of the more high-profile episodes I've done. But episodes like this, I would argue, are at least as important, if not more so, because they give you insight into the world around you. And I encourage you to have conversations like this with your friends. Learn more about what they do, because chances are what they do is fascinating and completely outside your realm of expertise. And it gives you insight not only into the world, but into your friends as well. And as a result, you may feel closer to them. I mean, I certainly do to Penny, and I cherish this episode. I think it's great. So it's episode 97 of the John of All Trades podcast. Let's get to it. This is Penny Lake. She is an interior designer. She works for Lance Boggio Architects, and her episode starts right now. Well, it's more of a <laughs> throw the ball and lay on the ground. <laughs> okay. Uh, did everyone have fun then? Well, 
I'm not sure Keenan really likes tee ball, okay. to say the least. Does he like hitting at least? Because, I mean, you're hitting it off a tee. That's generally fun, right? Well, he kind of just more like bunts the ball, if <laughs> okay. you will. He doesn't really like hit the ball. Okay. Yeah. How, okay. How old is he now? He'll be five in August. Okay. Wow. I feel like I didn't start playing tee ball until I was like seven. Yeah. I think it's too early. It seems to be because like swinging a bat and hitting a ball seems like a level of coordination that a five-year-old might not have. Yes. And then the whole concept of not just letting the bat fly out of your hand, actually just (laughs) sitting the bat down. And then the whole concept of then you have to run to a place. Um, It's a lot of components. There is a lot of components to (laughs) T-ball. It's a... it's a lot of steps involved, mm-hmm. and I, I guess I never really thought about it because, you know, I'm in my 30s, and I've, I've been around baseball for 30 years, so it yeah. did make sense to me, but at some point, you have to learn. Yeah. Do you remember, like, actually learning how to play catch with your dad? Actually, I do. You do? My, yeah, because my dad was very systematic about it. When I was uh, starting my team, he's like, okay, keep your glove on this side now. And he threw me a bunch to that side, like mm. this side low, and then this side high, and then the other side, like cross body high, and then mm-hmm. cross body low. And he's like, if the ball goes here, this is how you move your glove. If the ball goes here, this is how you move your glove. And it was surprisingly helpful. That is interesting because yeah. the other problem is, is that he's left-handed. Oh, no. And so Matt's left-handed. Right. He does a lot of weird things left-handed. Like okay. he has... He bats left-handed, but his hands are switched. Okay. Um, oh, that's not good. Yeah. So actually teaching Keenan the correct right. form. And then like if I wanted to teach him how to like throw or catch, like it's opposite for me. Oh, that'd be tough. And yeah. it's like eh, like trying <laughs> to figure out how to throw <laughs> your left hand. Yeah. Wow, that's too weird. Yeah. The other thing that's weird is you have three boys. I do have three boys. I'm soon to have two girls here. Mm-hmm. And I. it feels like not that long ago that we would be just drunk off our asses at Andrews on Lincoln. This is very true. Or in your garage. Yeah. Playing... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, I lived in that one place with the pool. Oh, yeah. Like my back door just opened right to the pool. I know. That was fantastic. That was all right. I wish I could open my backyard by back door to a pool. Yeah. I, I actually tied it up before you got here. So this whole floor was covered in just toys and blocks and everything. Oh, mm-hmm. um, and I knew you wouldn't mind. No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's always nice to have a reason to tidy it up and go, this is going to look good for like an hour. Right. That's a nice feeling, isn't it? Is it is a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're sitting here with Penny Lake from Lance Boggio Architecture. And uh, how long have you been there? I've been there almost two months now. Okay. And what is your primary focus? Because you're an interior designer, right? I'm an interior designer. We focus mostly in senior living. Okay. Um, so, but we do it a little bit differently. Um, we take more of a hospitality spin because we believe that um, we should look at seniors as guests. Okay. Um, and not necessarily as residents in a nursing home, if you will. Okay. So much more of a kind of hotel feel. All right. So how does that differ how you do design? So like what types of things would be different if you view them as guests versus viewing them as residents? Well, think about like the experience. Think about the amenities that are offered um, within like a hotel type of atmosphere. Like they may have a spa. Okay. Most senior living places now have spas where you can get a pedicure, get your hair done. Get your hair did. Yes. And (laughs) more than just your typical like dining area where you come in for your typical three squares a day, like (laughs) um, you're talking about there's actually maybe a bistro and you can grab yourself a cup of coffee, maybe a sandwich or something like that. So it's it's going more towards that hospitality than your typical nursing home type feel. So when you, yeah, when you think of a nursing home, you have a very particular sort of picture in your head, probably, you know, like cafeteria, almost like mm-hmm. that look, that feels like an elementary school or something. Right? right. And what you're aiming for is more reflective of like an adult experience and more contemporary and just more feeling like you're not confined in a space. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, doing a lot with windows as far as bringing the exterior in. Um, there's a lot of studies that say that people heal faster and better if they're exposed to the outdoors. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. So like, do you incorporate courtyards, that kind of thing? So yes. Um, if 
the architects in our firm have anything to do with the design, then yes, they incorporate a lot of courtyards. Okay. That's cool. And is it primarily in Colorado or do you do stuff all over? We do work all over. So does that mean you're on the road? Um, I have traveled. We have a few projects in Orlando right now. Okay. <laughs> um, and other places as well. So yeah, I'll bet, uh, I'll bet you have plenty in the Sun Belt. Probably not as much going on, say, like in, uh, Cleveland or, uh, <laughs> we actually have one outside of Kansas City. Okay. Good. And there's a couple in Kentucky that are in kind of small areas. Well, sure. I mean, yeah. you, you think of retirees, you think of them going to the warm and sunny places. Like mm -hmm. my mother-in-law just moved to Sun City, West Arizona. And that's like a, have you ever heard of Del Webb? Yeah. Yeah. It's a Del Webb community. Yeah. And so we went down there for spring training and we go, this is like not at all what I pictured it to be like. It was kind of cool. Actually, mm -hmm. we had a good time. So. Is it, does she live in type of a patio home? Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's like a ranch style home. When you say patio home, what do you mean? So a uh, patio home is typically like a ranch style house. You typically have, it's covenant. So you have um, somebody that maintains your yard. It's almost like living in a town home. Oh yeah. But living in like an actual single family home, but you don't necessarily really have to maintain anything. Yes. That is a good description um, because her, like there's no fences or anything. It's just yeah. like almost like a big green belt in the yes. backyard. Yep. So that was really cool. It's uh, as we tape this. On today's Saturday, uh, I think it's 119 degrees down there today, Wow! which just sounds absolutely hideous. Yeah. So that's really hot. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you was, and I thought of this when I interviewed the registered dietitian, and I want to say that was episode like 17 with Kate Schultz. And I said, you are a registered dietitian. You are not a nutritionist. That's a distinguishing factor. That's important. Do people get confused between interior design and interior decoration? All of the time. And do you have to correct them? Um, I used to. Okay. Um, especially when I was right out of school. Um, it really bothered me a lot. Sure. Yeah. Probably um, a sore spot, right? Yeah. Because I was like, no, I went to school. There's more than just decorating involved. <laughs> There's actually planning, codes, not just picking paint colors and fabrics and things that people think right. that interior decorators do. And putting um, antiques like... <laughs> yeah. Somewhere. Like I'm actually educated, have a degree. Right. It's not just a hobby. Okay. Can you go into like what an interior designer does? Like the things that you consider as you approach an, uh, a new project, how do you go about and what are some of the things that, that you do work on? Uh, for instance... You worked, you said, in the financial sector, right? Um, I used to work in the financial sector, yeah. I used to do a corporate office. Right. Um, so I've done everything from high-end residential to model homes okay. to corporate office to now senior living. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about what might go into the different types of projects and the things that you consider that are different and well beyond what a decorator would do? Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, design is split up into stages. So... Basically, if you had a client contact you, it doesn't matter if it's a, somebody with a personal home or somebody that wants you to redo an office or a senior living facility. They have a goal in mind to make it more usable for them or for their guest. So what we do is what's called a program. Okay. So we sit down and we talk about these are our goals. These are the things that we want to accomplish. And then it's almost like a map. Think about like a puzzle and how you put pieces together. Okay. So we do space planning. So if you were to have an empty shell and you have a new tenant that wants to move into that shell, they have, they need five offices and maybe a receptionist and different things. And so there's a program that you look at that says an office takes up this much space. Right. And I need this much furniture for a conference room or whatever. And you take those areas and you fit it in and you figure out whether or not that puzzle fits within okay. that area. Okay. So you're looking to optimize the space, not only in terms of like functionality, but also, I mean, you don't want a, like a terrible aesthetic either, right? Right. Okay. Um, so functionality flow. One thing that's big with offices is how many exterior offices do you have or how many, how much glazing do you have? Because everybody wants a window, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, even if you think about laying out a senior living facility, you know, every bedroom has to have a window. Yeah. That's a, that's a code issue. What do you mean? So think about fire code. Yeah. You have to have two exits from a space. Okay. So if you had a, you know, a fire in your corridor, you have to be able to 
get out a window. But it's the same thing with your own personal home. Yeah, okay. Think about it. You can't classify a bedroom unless it has a window. Right. And a closet. Okay. Right? No, that's a good point. Uh, in my college house, there were five of us who lived in that house. There were two bedrooms upstairs, and there were actually five bedrooms downstairs. But only three of them had the egress window. The other two didn't, so we couldn't, like, they couldn't rent them out. I suppose technically we could have been against code, but. Right. But as far as classifying them as bedrooms, it was only five. Right. I'd never thought of that. And I guess down here, yeah, there's, we, we have a little egress window in the guest room, and that would be the second exit. Yeah. Wow, that's weird. That's not something I ever would have thought of. But that's something that goes into your day-to-day job. Yes. And so that's probably something a little bit different that a decorator doesn't do. They don't get into <laughs> actually codes and how... I mean, they deal with how a space functions. And obviously, they want to make it aesthetic for their client. Yeah. But they deal more with... They come in and they pick some paint colors and they talk about furniture and artwork. And, and don't get me wrong, that's stuff that we do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that we get a little bit more into kind of welfare, safety, health of our actual user. Wow. So how many different types of codes do you have to consider? Well, it depends on the jurisdiction. Every jurisdiction has a different set of codes that you have to look at. Okay. Um, there are the ANSI codes, which are accessibility codes. There's the ADA. Okay. Right. Um, which is a federal thing, right? Which is a federal thing. And then okay. you have each like think of Colorado sure, and every single County adopts a different may adopt a different set of codes. Okay. So right now you have the international building code, which most people adhere to, but you have different versions. So you have a release of the latest version is 2015. And there's a few jurisdictions that have adopted that, but most of them have adopted like 2009 or 2012 and the code changes sometimes a little bit. So you have to be really particular about you look at, you look at the codes and make sure that you're complying with what yeah. you're doing. So yeah, well with, with current codes too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to be up to date on, you're almost like a tax lawyer in that regard. Yeah. And then a jurisdiction can decide whether or not they want to adopt the whole code or whether they want to adopt portions of it or whether they want to change portions of it. Cause maybe, you know, they're really particular. If you look at California, they have really specific codes. Okay. Um, California has specific everything. Yes. Or you look at Chicago and they have very specific fire codes. Okay. And so <laughs> it's just part of kind of what architects and interior designers do is they have to study the code prior to designing anything. That's interesting. As someone who has worked in sort of government relations and dealt with a lot of regulations in a much different industry. Do folks like you who do on the ground interior design, do you contribute to the feedback loop and say, Hey, look, I know what you guys are trying to do with this code, but this code sucks and it's not actually achieving what you want it to. Does that ever like make its way out of sort of your experience and then up to the government where they're, where they're listening to perhaps a trade association or something? Well, the government's not the one that actually publishes like the international building code. Like right. that's a separate like code, like council. Okay. I would assume that they're comprised of like architects and sure. probably less interior designers, but probably more architects and right, engineers. But I'm just thinking on the ground, you know, you've got to see things where you're like, yeah, I, I know what this is trying to achieve, but this isn't necessarily doing the job. Yeah. I think that happens a lot with, especially the accessibility codes Okay, um, where sometimes like Let's say, for example, like a drinking fountain. Okay. When's the last time you used a drinking fountain at a bank? Uh, I don't know that I could pinpoint it. Okay. So <laughs> can you say that that's maybe not necessary to have that there? <laughs> and that more than likely, if you if there was not a drinking fountain, you asked a bank official, I'm really thirsty, I need a drink of water, that yeah. they would provide that for you. But... I- Okay, so are you, are you saying that a bank is required to have a drinking fountain? Um, pretty much every space, everything but like restaurants, like any type of eating establishment. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Because the code dictates that somebody should be able to have access to that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and it goes even deeper. Like you have to have um, the current code requires that you have a standing height and a sitting height drinking fountain because you have people who sure. maybe have an accessibility where they can't bend over to an accessible height drinking fountain. Okay. So, I mean, it's, I'm sure in some instances it's very necessary, but sure. <laughs> in some instances it, you know. Might be a bit superfluous. Yeah. Yeah. So. That, that's too weird. So as you do your job and you mentioned sort of fitting puzzle pieces together, right? 
it's almost like there are okay if if you if you look at a space and you go okay what are the must haves right what do we have to have here do you almost try and slot those in and then work around them or you know do you is it more of a holistic picture where you go okay we have these must haves and we have these like to haves and you flow them in I, like how does the process unfold for you as as you look at a new space well i guess it all depends on the client and kind of what they're looking for i mean if yeah, they, there are definitely some must-haves that every sure. space has to have. Like you have to have a restroom, right? So those, like, you want to look at like where they go and like um, how it flows with other things. Like you don't want your bathroom right across from maybe your entry door or <laughs> something right. else. Like, um, yeah. so you have to think about um, adjacencies. Okay, think about how you would want, let's say, your kitchen next to your dining room. Yeah. Or if you even think about like your house here. Sure. Um, and thinking about how, okay, I want a bathroom that's close to my bedroom and I want um, my kitchen right next to my living room and my dining room. But can you imagine like, I mean, your wife is a, a real estate agent Yep. and I'm sure that she's seen some poorly laid out homes well, and where if- she walks in and maybe there's a kitchen, but the dining room's like maybe all the way across the house. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And uh, it's funny you bring that up because this house was actually flipped. And so the people who owned it before, it was bought by some development company. They gutted it. They, I think they gutted it. I heard from our neighbor who lives across the street. She's lived in that house now for like her whole life, like 50 years. And she said, I used to play in this house and it was laid out much differently. And she described it to us. And as we listened to it, we're like, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But I think that speaks to the way like our living conditions change based on, I mean, we, we all sort of evolve in our taste and our, and our needs for functionality. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, even think about like houses used to be very closed off where everything was a room, but a lot of that was done because heat was really expensive. Ah. So you used to be able to close off rooms. So maybe in the winter time, you wouldn't use the front living room. Okay. Um, or think about like a lot of old Victorians would have like a lowered ceiling Mm-hmm. because it's less ex- it's less expensive to heat that way. But wow. you go into it now and you're like, why would anybody <laughs> lower the ceiling in this beautiful right. house? Like so it's definitely function and it definitely we function differently now than we did 100 years ago. Yeah, that's crazy because I never understood why anyone would want like that closed off floor plan. Right. Especially with our big dumb like modern furniture. Yeah. And if you've ever tried to move into an old house, you're like this is impossible. Yeah. Like I can't even get a bed in here. Well, yeah, back in the day, <laughs> you you no no one was sleeping on a king size bed. No, right? Yeah, that's cool. So, how long have you been at this now? So, I've been an interior designer. I've been practicing for over thirteen years now. Okay, and just keeping with this theme, in that time, what has changed in your experience in designing spaces? Like, how have tastes changed? How has functionality changed? How has technology changed things? I mean, what's different from when you started then versus how it is now? Um, A lot has changed. Um, If you think about just the fact that people don't go places as much as they used to, especially like, let's say, for example, a bank. Right. Um, The whole banking industry has changed with mobile apps, online banking. The whole idea of the personal banker has kind of like gone away. I mean, yeah, there's definitely people that still use that, but maybe the whole concept of having all of these people to open accounts in the middle of your lobby is not not necessary not necessary anymore. Yeah, um, it's funny too because now that you mention it, yeah, I used to have to go to the bank to make deposits and I have a certain number of clients who pay me pay me amounts that are prohibitive to do like mobily. Right. But everything else I just take a picture of. Yeah. And then I have this check and I go, what the hell do I do with this? But then I think, I'm like, what did the bank used to do with this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's too um, and And I'm sure in 10 years, we'll probably go into a bank and there won't be a teller anymore. There will be like right. basically an ATM machine sitting there where you right. you know, deposit your money. And if you really need someone, there will be someone over in the corner. And if and, we're lucky, maybe it'll be a friendly robot. Yeah. So <laughs> just the idea of the you know, the footprint of those spaces changing and becoming smaller and yeah. morphine and something that's always changing is color. Okay. And what the current color is and what's current right now. Gray. <laughs> we sit in my gray house <laughs> with the gray walls. Everybody. Well, not everybody loves gray, but 
gray is pretty big right now. But I mean, gray is very neutral. It's very it is. like, and it's not white. Either. No, I mean, it, you bring up a really good point that everything's neutral because if you go into a lot of contemporary spaces, all of your basics are neutral. And then you build on those basics with color. So maybe okay. you incorporate color into furniture or maybe a little bit into the carpet or a little bit into the walls or the artwork. Right. But, you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, everything being painted a color is not really necessarily a big thing anymore. Huh. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I was driving down I-25 yesterday and it was like right at that bridge I want to say it's like I-25 in like Ogden or Downing or something. Mm -hmm. There's a marijuana dispensary that is like the loudest painted building I think I've ever seen. (laughs) And it's like every color. I mean, it it looks like a clown just threw up on it. Right. It was amazing. And I remember thinking, I'm like, this industry is so new and so young. Mm -hmm. You still have just weird people out there trying all the craziest stuff they can think of. Yeah. And... That was almost energizing in a way because like so much of what we do has been ingrained for so long and you have this industry that's like, we're going to paint our building like nine different colors. Yeah. And I thought that's fantastic and good for them, right? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. What the hell, right? <laughs> what do you have to lose? <laughs> um, it's, it's almost like, you know, if you're, if you're in a bank and, and if you think about banks, you go, there's not a lot about this that is remarkably different from any other bank. Right. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would... I would say so. I mean, for the most part, they all have the same services. They all, you know. Right. And they've largely optimized what the experience can and should be mm-hmm. to whatever extent, right? I think so. Um, is that, when you go into a project like that, is it hard to find a new angle on something that is that sort of penetrated in the market? Well, I think that, I mean, anymore, like you think about some of the bigger banks and you th- pretty much you go in and they all look the same. Right. You know, that's one thing that's so great about what I do now is the fact that it, it's all different. Um, it seems more creative. It seems, you know, what can I do that's different? Sure. Um, versus every bank is blue. Or, <laughs> But it's exciting to think about you are, you know, designing something where maybe this is a person's last stage of life. Yeah. And you want to give them an environment that's welcoming and warm and feels like home the same time as welcoming welcoming for people that come to visit. Sure. You know, like you want to go see your grandma and she, she lives in a senior living facility. If it's really dark and dingy in there, like, yeah, you still want to go see your grandma, but are you going to enjoy it as much? Yeah. Yeah. You may walk out with a slightly different feeling. And it's funny that you bring that up because I was just in Chicago because my grandma just passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's all right. Um, she was in her 90s and she was in like a senior living center. And I remember thinking like it was laid out kind of interesting because you walked in and it was almost like a hub and spoke. Mm-hmm. Had, yep. A lot of them are designed that way. Right. And so you had this you had this area and I remember I've been there a few times and when I walk in, I just happened to be there during the time of day when they would play Jeopardy. And I would sit, I would like sit with these old folks and just watch Jeopardy with them. And I thought, this is really nice. Like, and it, like, I don't know what it was about it, but something about it, I just, it felt good in there. Mm-hmm. Um, her room was really nice. Her room had a great window. There was a lot of really nice trees outside. Um, and the staff there was, was really delightful. But it's funny now that I'm talking about this, you know, and, and I say, I don't know what it was, but it felt really nice. That's almost like at the core of your job. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, that's exactly what it is. Like you don't, yeah, you want someone to like, oh, notice something as, oh wait, that's, that's kind of cool. But for the most part, just, you know, not that I'm saying that you're just some normal person, but just like everyday person that walks in, you know, maybe you don't notice every little detail that someone in my field would notice, but you know that you like it. Sure. And ultimately like it's a feeling that you get and like, if that's a great feeling, like yeah. we did our job, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's, uh, it, it reminds me, I interviewed Reed Saunders who does public address for the Colorado Rockies. And he said, people don't notice public address unless it's bad. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And what you're describing is it's almost like if you've done your job correctly, an average person who isn't really attuned to design things probably won't notice. Is that yeah. accurate? Well, I mean, they may, 
but, maybe they'll like, notice not, not consciously right 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 yeah but they would notice if it was bad yeah where they'd go something this is off like yeah uh yeah the, the it off gives me a bad feeling yeah. or yeah and and they'd become aware of that and i mean the other element that was interesting in this senior living center was there were security measures as well, mm-hmm. which you have to integrate, you know, so it doesn't feel like... Uh, like a jail. Exactly. Like yeah. A jail. Uh, we do a lot of memory care as well. Okay. Um, and my grandma's actually in a memory care facility. Um, she has um, dementia. She's 93. <laughs> and she's um, been in this memory care facility now for well, probably a year now. And what I found interesting when I started working here is um, I toured a, a, one of the memory care facilities that my company did down in Colorado Springs. And it was in the basement of the facility because it needs to be very secure. Okay. Not that that means that it has to be in a basement. Right. It just happens to be at this that, that facility. That was a choice they made. But when I walked down there, it didn't feel like a basement. Oh, okay. Um, it felt very light and airy and very welcoming. But something that I thought was cool is that they have all of these stations where maybe they have like a crib. So, um, somebody who's like, you know, losing their memory can do like practice doing things that maybe, you know, when they were younger, they did. Um, they would have like a dress up station where they (laughs) could try on high heels and like, um, a man could try on like a hat or, you know, different things just, I think to maybe kind of help with some of that memory loss that they're experiencing. Again, you know, just to make them feel at home. Sure. You know? Yeah, and, and help them through what has got to be a, a very challenging portion of life. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I've heard we were talking to some of the folks who worked at the place where my grandma was, and they said life is kind of like a bell curve where mm-hmm. you kind of get to a certain point, and then once you get to a certain point, you start regressing. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're almost like a teenager for a while, and then you're almost like a little kid, and then... I mean, at the very end, you're almost like an infant Yeah. where, where you need help with everything just like an infant does. Yeah. And I found that interesting. I, and I never really thought about life that way, but yeah. it made sense to me when, when I saw how some of these folks were. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious, how did you come to want to get into this field? Was this something that you go, I know I want to do this or did it come to you? How did you discover it? Um, I had actually started... My education started my college degree as a uh, microbiology major. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so basically complete polar opposites of what I do now. I guess so. Um, I had always kind of had a math and science mind and my mom was a nurse. Right. And so I kind of had always thought I would work in the medical field. Like, you know, I was a candy striper when I was like oh, really? 14. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> at the hospital. And so I'd always thought you know, I'll probably end up being like a nurse or like work in a lab or something like that. And at some point something just clicked. It was like, no, I, I don't think I want to do that. Like I, I want to do something that's going to make me happy, something that I'm passionate about. And And you didn't think science was that path for you. I didn't think so. There was just something about it that I was like, was it like a college class? Because, I mean, I can tell you exactly when I didn't want to be a business major anymore. I don't think that was necessary. Maybe. I mean, maybe it was the entire college experience. Maybe it was the fact that I felt like I was just kind of muddling through, like not really excited about any of the classes, not really excited to learn about it. Yeah, not super energized about it. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I want to be passionate about something. I want to love what I do. Yeah. And I had always loved architecture. I was like, maybe I could be an architect. (laughs) And then I was like, nah, I don't think I could be an architect. Um, I didn't want to think about the outside of the building. <laughs> really? Yeah. Even though you loved architecture, you're like, it's like, nope, I'm happy appreciating it. Don't want to design my own. Yeah. I think for me, I was like, I'd really love to work with architects. <laughs> cool. Um, I, you know, and that's, I think the best thing about being an interior designer is the collaboration with architecture and engineers and like yeah. the entire process. And again, like making a space that makes people feel good. Yeah. That's safe. So what was the education like? So I have a bachelor's degree okay. um, in interior design. It's a master's or not like a master's, a bachelor's <laughs> of arts. <laughs> so it's like a BA. Yeah, it's a BA. I learned everything from fine art drawing. Okay. 
um, to painting to, I even took like a sculpture class. Wow. And how'd Um, you do with those? I did okay. I really loved the fine art drawing. Some of like the, some of the ceramics classes I was like, yeah, this is really not my thing. Right. But then we learned a lot about color theory. Um, I learned how to hand draft. So when I first went to school, CAD was just starting. So CAD is like a, a program. Yeah, exactly. And now we've kind of morphed into Revit, which has been modeling. So everything's done three dimensionally. And, um, but when I went to school, like it was just very in its infancy, everybody's still hand drafted. So, and I'm pretty sure that now if you were to go to school, you still learn how to hand draft, but that's pretty much it. You probably learn it and then you don't actually do it. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's like a foundational thing Yeah. That that's important to know, um, w- without a lot of super practical application anymore. Right. Right. But right. it's like, you have well, to know where this comes from. Yeah. And well, I mean, we still do some hand sketching, like, uh, you know, we'll do, we'll get out a piece of trace paper and throw it over a plan and just quickly do some ideas as far oh, as how to lay something out. And you can do that, you know, I mean, that's going right back to learning that stuff in school. So you went from that to actually design courses where maybe, you know, there was a hospitality design course and you designed a restaurant. And at that stage, it was pretty minimal. Like Mm -hmm. maybe you would pick like a couple pieces of furniture and a couple paint colors and a couple fabrics. and, And maybe you did a space plan of the dining area and you just kind of said, this is where the kitchen would be. So maybe you didn't really get into the nitty gritty of like all of the parts and pieces, maybe more of the fun stuff. (laughs) Sure. Um, we took a coats class. We took, um, I mean, a lot of it was design related, but then again, we took art history, history of furniture. So it's Um, a lot of fine arts integration. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, combined with some of the more practical stuff. So yes. some of the less sexy stuff, right? Yeah. So more like technical, like technical right. drawing and then also fine arts mixed in, which yeah. is, I think, a perfect description of what interior design is. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, that's really nice. Do you still draw? Do you enjoy it? I do. I don't do it as much as I would like to. Um, well, sure. We, I mean, and I'm probably not, I mean, I probably used to be better than I am now. <laughs> right. And I think a lot of the computer programs have kind of taken that away from kind of professionals a little bit. I mean, there's definitely still people in the field that don't do any type of BIM modeling or work with CAD or anything. They still do a lot of hand stuff. Right. Which is hopefully not a lost art. Yeah. No, I I certainly hope not. As I'm thinking back on this, one of my very early shows, I spoke with a photographer and she actually, I think, got her degree in interior design. And one of the projects I saw her have to do because I was dating her roommate at that point was uh, she had to paint it or not paint. She had to draw a self-portrait. Oh, yes. Have you done that? I had to do that for a college class. It was probably the hardest, one of the hardest things. I was like, I don't look like that. (laughs) (laughs) Did other people think it looked like you though? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I wouldn't say that I'm really great at like that kind of detail. Like I can't draw like portraits, but you know, like forms and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, That I, it seemed really, really hard. Because I was watching her draw it, and I'm like, how would I... And I suck at drawing to begin with. Mm-hmm. But trying to capture yourself, yeah, that just... That seems very, very difficult. To right. Me. Well, and if you think about that, it, most of it has to do with highlights and shadows. Right. That you're not... Like, if you look at a form, like, you're looking at, okay, how can I... Sh- like, what area should I shadow to get that to actually look the way that I want it to look? Yeah. And that's a whole, like, technique and... Yeah. It it baffles me. I mean, art is amazing to me. Yeah. And it's I mean, I'm good with the written word. I I fancy myself a good writer, but God, in terms of the visual, I I have like no skills. And so I'm always fascinated by people who do. <laughs> I remember we used to play pub trivia and I had a friend who has a I think a graphic design degree, but he likes to draw all the time and he would just draw on the back of our answer sheets and it was amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you do that? How, like, I can picture it in my head. Right. And it comes out and I'm like, bang, bang, bang. Right. <laughs> I'm more of a doodler, if you will. Okay. Yeah. And, um, since I have three boys, I'm a, I can draw Batman. Oh, nice. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the logo or the Batman himself? Uh, well, mostly just, and it's more of like a character Batman. It's not like sure. full on detail Batman. 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get good at all sorts of uh, great comic book characters and stuff as time goes on. <laughs> You're like, why am I drawing comics? <laughs> <laughs> so as you go forward in this, and I mean, you mentioned color is one of the big things that, that is always changing. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other things in terms of interior design that you know you perhaps see coming down the road that that people either haven't anticipated or maybe they have since you work sort of on the on the ground floor of this what do you see going forward well um i can tell you some things that i hope to see okay yeah that'd be great um i hope that there's even more emphasis on sustainability okay yeah and how we live in this world and how we can add to the world and not take away. Um, If you think about construction as an industry, it's a lot of waste. Yeah. A lot of waste and diverting that stuff from the landfill to actually recycling it um, or reusing it. There are a lot of programs in place, but I just hope that there continues to be more. And I think well, I hope, I guess I should say, I hope at one point that it's less expensive to do it sustainably than not to. Sure. And at what point, I think that at that point, you'll actually get people to maybe take it a little bit more seriously. Yeah, because uh, you're right. For better or worse, um, the sustainability movement, green move. I, I hesitate to paint it with that broad a brush. Right. But it's, it's almost billed as... You're right, like a luxury thing. Yeah. Like you you know, you you picture the type of people who are into that and yeah, it's usually upper crust, mm-hmm. you know, predominantly white, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, just because for whatever reason it's it's had that attached to it. Right. But you're right, uh more accessibility and I mean sustainability is not a bad thing. No. And and it you're right, it should be more universal. Right. Well and think about actually like purchasing something that maybe lasts forever. Right. So you purchase a sofa that has like nice clean lines that is classic, like won't ever go out of style and maybe the fabric will and the fabric will wear out. But instead of throwing the whole thing away, maybe we reupholster it or right. you replace like part of it to make it new again. I don't really feel like that's anything that's happening now. So in terms of like a sofa, what on a sofa that currently breaks down could be improved? Besides just the fabric? Probably the foam. Okay. I mean, if you think about a cushion and you continually sit on it and continually sit on it, it breaks down. But at the same time, you don't want to sit on a brick. Yeah. So if you make it... Like, I think that there will always be things that won't last. Sure. But if you think about the frame of it, like the frame, why should the frame ever break down? <laughs> right. And most of them don't. I mean, there are companies that have lifetime frames, but the problem is, is that it's way more expensive to reupholster something than it is to just buy something new. So as a person who doesn't want to waste money, like you, you know, you lean towards that kind of wastefulness, but you can kind of look at that in a lot of different aspects, you know? How can you as an interior designer help contribute to designing things more sustainably? How, like what, what role do you play? Cause you said it's part of a team effort yeah. with engineers and architects and clients and so on and so forth. How do you work to enhance that? I think the big thing is education, educating people on making the right decisions of this is why you should, you should make this choice instead of another choice. Um, and really being an advocate and passionate about that stance. Your, your clients hire you because you're a professional and because you know what you're talking about and getting them to understand that maybe a little bit more money is worth, you know, worth something in the end. I mean, what you're talking about also is creating a value proposition where doing the sustainable thing and doing the more cost effective thing will be one and the same. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah, I hope so. I yeah. mean, I think that that would be great. That makes good sense. Is there anything else like looking forward you know, as far as one of the things I was struck by that you said earlier was as a culture, we have almost fewer and fewer spaces that we visit. You brought up banks, for example, mm-hmm. but it, it seems like a lot of our shopping and a lot of our consumables that we buy are purchased online. Yeah. I mean, what does that mean for the future of your industry? Is that something that, uh, that people fret about? I don't think so. I mean, I think that, I mean, there's always going, I'm, 
people are always going to want to get out of their house. Right. Like you, you, you have to. Yeah. Like you don't want to just be a homebody, but thinking about how the space works for somebody to actually enjoy being there, like want to like go to that place. Sure. Even if it's something that, you know, let's say for example, you need a new pair of jeans mm-hmm. and um, you're like, well, I know what size I wear. I can just buy them online. And I, this company that I know, but what if the experience when you went to the store was something above and beyond what it could be if you purchased it online? Right. So making a space, almost an experience hmm. to actually go to. And is that something that, that you work on directly? Like, do you work with marketing people or um, folks like that to help drive traffic to places? Like, how do we not- make the space more attractive to do exactly what you said. How do we well, get people? But, okay. So think about, um, let's say you're 80 years old okay, and you're retired and you want to like move into a senior living place. Maybe it's a, an independent living. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a condo complex, if you will, where you're renting a condo from this facility, but they have all of these great amenities. Okay. Why do you choose one over the other? Right. It, well, yeah. I mean, a number of factors will go into that. How I feel when I go into it, proximity to stuff in the area that's important to me. Maybe my family lives in the area. Um, the amenities that they offer. There's a lot of things that go into that. Yeah. So, I mean, right now we're doing a, a bunch of renovations of some existing facilities. Okay. And one of the things that, you know, we've heard from some of their facilities people is, you know, we're losing people to the place down the street. And they're really excited about the program that we offer, but maybe, you know, our carpet is a little dingy or, Mm. um, that place has X, Y, Z that we don't. Mm. And so we look at that and say, okay, what can we do to draw people here? So, I mean, I guess just to kind of answer your question in a way, yeah. What makes one place more desirable than another? Yeah. And I mean, if you can solve that, right. (laughs) I mean, you win. You get all the money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's the central question. How do you get people in here versus right. the similar place that is right. not so far from here? Right. And thinking about how to do something different and something new. So how many clients at a time will you work on? Like how many different projects do you typically have in the hopper at any one time? Um, I guess it all depends because... They're all in different stages, like different stages of design. So some of them are in kind of beginning stages where you're just talking about programming, you're visiting the site, you're kind of learning what the client's needs are. And then some of them are actually, you're solving those needs. So you're coming up with ideas on, hey, this is how I think we should do this. And then there's some of them that are, you know, you're seeing that design through. So they're actually in construction. And so, you know, we do everything from that beginning stage all the way through until we move the furniture in. And and yeah. even after that, we like to look at those projects and say, how could we have done better? How What could we have done differently? Or what can we take away from this project onto the next project, you know, to learn from? Sure. Because, you know, ultimately design is always evolving. It's always evolving how how we do things and how to be efficient at what we do. Yeah. But like in an average day... If there is, is there an average day? <laughs> There's not an average day. That's going exciting though, right? I actually kind of looked back on yesterday and I was like, you know, I think I only had one conference call this week. Nice. One. But the week before, I think I had like eight. Yeesh. Yeah. And so there is a lot of weeks where it's like well, and I paperwork. Gr- yeah. And I it's, groan because I, I'm anti-conference call, but... In your line of work, I mean, I'm sure it's essential. Yeah. I mean, we have clients that are in different areas. Exactly. We work with engineers that, you know, are based out of different states and in order to function and actually work. And we also use like, you know, the internet and share our screens so we can see sure. like, hey, what do you think about this area? Or what should we do here? And right. so there's a lot of collaboration and it's great that technology has made it available for us to to be able to collaborate on that type of scale um, and not have to sit right next to somebody. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, we're, uh, we're about at our conclusion here. So this is the part in the show where I do plugs. So feel free. Do you, if you have something you'd like to plug, if you'd like to plug the company, if they have a website, if people are, if someone's out there listening and going, wow, that sounds like a great firm. Where can we find them? Where can we find you plug anything you want? 
Um, well, I work for Lance Foggio Architects. Uh, we're based out of DTC, um, so the Denver Tech Center. We are about 50 to 60 people in our firm, and we are comprised of architects and interior designers. Nice. And we do a lot of range of different design. Um, we do a lot of senior living. That's kind of our our big thing. But we also do government, schools, all kinds of stuff. Nice. Where can we find you on the web? Lance. Bogio.com and there's a hyphen between Lance and Bogio. How do you spell Bogio? B-O-G-G-I-O. Fantastic. All right. Well, Penny, this was enormously illuminating for me. And this is one of those episodes I wanted to do because it's something we literally everyone experiences. Everyone experiences interior design, but I feel like our cultural vocabulary for it is not great. Mm-hmm. So thanks for shedding some light and continued success to you. Well, thank you so much for having me today. And that wraps up episode 97 of the John of All Trades podcast with Penny Lake from Lance Boggio Architects. Big thanks to Penny for taking some time out on a Saturday, leaving her kids with the husband, and just getting some time in my basement. We got to talk to each other, and I loved it. I adored it. Penny's doing great work. Check out her firm on the web. It's on the companion blog piece, johnofalltrades.us. We're also on the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Pinterest, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. Now, let's pay some bills. Four degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. They are the sponsor of the John of All Trades podcast. Zach Knaus, another adult friend I made. We're doing some work together, and I cannot speak highly enough of what they do in online campaigns, social media marketing, and online advertising. There's simply no one better. Check them out on the web. Four degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Deft is on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. No episode next week. I'm off, but we got some good ones coming right behind it. I booked three interviews, all of which are terribly interesting and very, very different from each other. So if you want to down low on what's coming, like us on Facebook, J-O-A-T pod on Facebook. Get exclusive episode previews. The only place to stay ahead of everyone else in terms of what's coming on the John of All Trades podcast. So we'll see you in two weeks. And until then, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.